Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a bright day in a rather deserted city of Westminster, it must be said, as once again, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. I'm Scott Challoner, and I'm joined on today's programme by Mark Stevens. Mark is the Director and MOT Manager at R&G Motors, a family-run garage in Cornwall that specialises in car and van servicing, MOTs and all other general motoring requirements. Mark, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Thank you very much. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thanks ever so much for taking the time to, of course, come onto the uh, the air with us. Now, the purpose of this podcast series, as I say here, is to gather together a variety of different perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to understand, uh, Mark, is what that word leader actually means to you. Okay. Um, so from my from my background, before we uh, before we took over the uh, the family business that we run down in Cornwall now, um, I spent 24 years with the Royal Air Force. Mm. And uh, across that time, I gradually worked my way up through the rank structure and um, came across all sorts of different leaders and leadership styles. And as you can imagine, the uh, the military do spend a lot of time and money putting, uh, putting people like myself through training. Uh, so I think the key point on leadership is that uh, leader has to be someone that leads or guides um, an industry or a group of people through uh, every available situation. Um, you have to have integrity, honesty, um, you have to be able to empower your subordinates and uh, allow them to take uh, control of situations and um, try to be positive and um, uh, sort of uh, collaborate with uh, with your, uh, your team as well as um, at some point have to take that awkward decision to um, maybe butt in the, in the uh, wrong direction of where you want to go and make um, mm. decisions that won't make necessarily you um, particularly uh, happy, if you like, and um, people may want to go against you. But, um, you know, leadership really is um, someone that needs to take command of a situation and um, drive everyone through it. I think that's absolutely uh, right uh, there, Mark. And um, with regards to sort of that transition, if you will, from uh, working in the Royal Air Force to essentially working within business, as you uh, do now, have there been Mm -hmm. certain elements of the leadership that you encountered there that you've been able to transition over to uh, working in business? Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, I um, I have a staff of six people that work for myself now, and um, as my wife keeps uh, keeps telling me that um, I'm no longer in the military, and perhaps the way that I would speak to and um, ask some of my subordinates subordinates from the military to uh, to do tasks, as opposed to the way that you can ask people in uh, civilian streets, does differ quite dramatically. Mm. Um, however, at the end of the day, someone does need to take responsibility um, for the for the whole situation. And uh, I think on, if you're honest with people and kind with people and positive with people and, um, you know, you empower them to take tasks on themselves, that um, really um, you do get the best out of people and, um, you know, that the job will come through. I think um, encouraging people to be a little bit independent and maybe take on their own leadership, as you say, um, is hugely important in uh, one's development, isn't it? Because I think taking a bit of a backseat in leadership sometimes and letting employee subordinates, um, if you will, um, work things out for themselves, that can really sort of help in their development as well when you're just sort of there as a little bit of a guiding hand, but not necessarily just right over their shoulder, doing uh, just making sure that they're doing everything right. Yes, yeah, I mean, um, at the moment we, uh, we have a... Um an apprentice that, uh, that works with us and she's um, two years through her course. And, um, you know, sometimes it might feel a bit hard when she comes and asks you questions about different things. But um, as you said, 
if I gave her the answers or, or some of my staff gave her the answers to every available question, then she's never going to learn anything for herself. So, um, you know, you do have to, uh, to, to let people take uh, take their own actions sometimes. And of course, you know, they're not always going to work. And, um, you know, you have to embrace failures and, and manage the outcomes as well. It's not, it's not a blame situation. It's, um, you know, it's, it's a way of life, really. Do you think it's really possible to actually be a good leader without going through that experience, as you say, of maybe trying a couple of things, maybe making one or two mistakes, then learning from those setbacks? Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy for for people when there, when there are mistakes made to uh, to want to blame people and think, oh, you know, there's there's a financial impact on that, there's a there's a time impact on that. Um, but um, you know, if as long as you uh, uh, learn from the mistakes and um, it's, you know it's not a catastrophic. Uh, failure then uh, you know if you if you look deep enough there's always um, a positive outcome in every every uh, opportunity and they say as well during times of adversity in particular that people really do tend to bring out the uh, the best in themselves and considering the current situation that we're going through at the moment with um, the whole COVID-19 outbreak have you found that um, becoming um, obvious within your team as well yes and um, I mean people react to different situations and different crises in, in different manners completely um I mean, you, we have we have a lot a lot of staff that um, are very sort of point the fact and that they carry on relatively normal, um, and we we have got some of our staff that uh, that are well to start off with were really quite reticent to even come to work and were scared to go out etc. But um, you know if if you bow down and give over to every um, every crisis, um, then you know the world will grind to a halt. You you do have to carry on um, as best you can to uh, to to overcome these situations. And the experience of going through crises, um, no matter where you are in your development, whether you're a business leader, whether you're an employee, I think it also breeds resilience as well, doesn't it, in that sense? Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, you, you just got to look at um, the local pubs and uh, restaurants and places um, and that, uh, that are local to us. Um, you know, their, their, uh, their income has, uh, has shrunk dramatically due to the fact they can't be open. But, um, you know, they've overcome these, uh, <coughs> overcome these situations. And, have uh, gone into local deliveries of food, and um, you know there's a, there's a, a kids' play uh, park just down the road from us that um, had a restaurant as well as a, a soft play area, and um, they've uh, they've obviously had to let some of their staff go on the furlough scheme, but uh, they they are running the kitchens and delivering all over uh, mm. all over the local uh, local area, um, which uh, you know you have to find, as I said, you have to find some bit of good to, to move forward in every situation. For certain, adaptability is so, so important uh, for businesses and business leaders, especially during this time. And what's also important, as you've highlighted already uh, there, Mark, is um, transparency as well and honesty. And that's something that's really come into the uh, the public um, eye at the moment with, of course, um, the different reactions as to how clear government guidelines and them advice is. And that just highlights the importance of that transparency and that honesty as a leader, doesn't it? You've got to really, really be clear in the message that you give out, even if there's so much uncertainty that you might not be able to provide all of the answers that people are expecting of you. No, you're right. Um, and I think honesty is, is the is the best policy in all these situations. I mean, uh, you, you could ask any given people different questions. And um, as, a, as a very good friend of mine uh, says, one of his statements is there's three, there's three stories to, uh, to everyone's, uh, everyone's, everyone's um, story. Mm. So you've got your story, my story and the truth. And, um, you know, you can only give out as much information as as you physically have. Um, there's no point um, sort of waffling on these situations. And um, to some fact that if you don't have the answer to a question and someone's pressing you and pressing you for it, you know, 
no matter how many times you get asked that same situation, if you don't have an answer, then you don't have an answer. Um, and, and I think that is what the key point at the moment is people are worrying about is that there's, there is that uncertainty. And, um, you know, we realize the economy is shrinking and that um, businesses are failing through, through no fault of their own. Um, <clears throat> but if the government and, um, you know, anyone in leadership doesn't have the answer to your question, then they don't have the answer to your question. You know, we're all in uh, in um, unforeseen and uncharted territory at the moment, and um, I think the best uh, the best that people can do is just rely on the leadership that we have to uh, to be honest and true with us, and um, you know just go along with it and see see where it all pans out. Exactly. Uh, leaders um, are under immense pressure to try and provide all the answers that they can. And simply, sometimes it's just not possible to have them with all the uh, the ongoing uncertainty. Um, we've talked um, about how um, your early career um, already, Mark, um, in the, um, the RAF, for example, has had an influence on that sort of style of leadership that you've taken on um, into business. But what would you say are perhaps some of the other influences that have maybe rubbed off on you throughout your career? Are there any people out there that maybe stick out who maybe had an impact on you? Um. I've had um, I've had a lot of great bosses over the years in the military, um, and um, moving forward, I, um, I'm a, um, a member of the uh, Falmouth Coast Guard Search and Rescue Team, and um, I've got some uh, some great teammates and um, some strong leaders there uh, that uh, that I've come across over the years. And um, I think the key fact is that as long as somebody is prepared to stand up and take ownership of a situation, um, no matter how they uh, they manage the outcome, as long as there is someone in co- in, in command, if you like, or in charge. And you have the respect of the uh, your employees and subordinates underneath you. Then any leadership style, as long as someone is prepared to take leadership, will guide you through any situation. Exactly, it's that ability to be able to take people with you, isn't it? Whether that's more approaching Absolutely. people as a friend, or whether it's having to be more authoritative when you have to. There are many different ways of being able to do that. Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, you know, if it, <laughs> if a if if Jeff they don't do that, come here will suffice then why would you need to grab someone by the scruff of the neck and drag them away um to, to, to put an analogy to it you know it's um, as they would say in the military it's the, the rule of minimum force to achieve what you want to get done exactly and it's knowing um people management basically that isn't it as well uh, when you have certain people may need a little bit of an arm around them for encouragement whereas others sometimes to motivate them do need a little bit of a kick up the backside now and then absolutely you know uh, <laughs> i'm sure we've all seen these different types of characters in our careers and um You'll have uh, you'll have one chap that'll happily take his full hour for his lunch. He'll absolutely take full thirty minutes for, for a tea break. He'll want to leave at bang on five o'clock at night and won't start till bang on eight o'clock in the morning. And you know, although they do, they're there and they do achieve. They do the bare minimum. Whereas you know, you you have your other type of people that will go that extra mile all the time. And um, you know, you you need to have different leadership styles for the different character traits and bits and pieces. You know, some some people that. Will take uh, take the criticism fine. Um, some people will, will, you know, perhaps break down and be quite upset by it. So, um, you know, the, another key fact is that you need to know your audience, if you like, and know how mm. to treat people. Um, you know, you you might say a flippant comment to, to one person, and they'll just take it on the chin. You say it to someone else, and um, you know, they'll be really quite upset by it. So, uh, so yeah, knowing your audience is key. I think it's quite important uh, for people tuning into this to understand that um, that no one leader should have just one approach. So one leader has one approach, for example, one has another, because <coughs> one leader has to be able to adapt to their own approach for different people, as uh, you say there. It's hugely, hugely important, and it comes back to that ability to adapt and be flexible that we've already talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, another key element is that, um, you know, all right, perhaps 
um, as it is in the state of the, 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 the garage that I own, that I am the, uh, the boss, if you like. Um, but um, I've got a I've got a garage manager that runs the workshop for me, and um, my uh, my wife Letta, she uh, she pretty much does everything else, all the office and everything like that. And it's uh, been able to, uh, to to relieve some of the pressure off the, the myself by sharing the responsibilities around. And at the end of the day, if everything if everything goes to you know goes to ruin and it all comes crashing down around it, you know, I am the the man left holding the, the baby, if you like. I am the person responsible. But um, if you can if you can share the burden and help people to uh, help you run, if you like, um, then you you embrace other qualities of different people as well. I think that's hugely important as well to pick the people you uh, have around you uh, carefully, surround yourself with positive people, especially if you're a younger person trying to make it within business or embarking on a leadership role, if you will. Picking your mentors, picking those that you're going to work with, that's one of the biggest pieces of advice you can really give, isn't it? Yeah, certainly, um, because it's, it's easy for a whole team to be dragged down by one person if they're uh, if they're down and pessimistic and upset. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to be brought from a, from a place of happiness down to sadness and depression and then it is to go the other way so i think like i said to, to, to try and um, maintain a euphorium across the whole workforce and to keep everyone happy as best you can is uh, is a is a key fact it certainly is and um, if we think about the uh, the future now uh, mark before we do uh, wrap things up on the uh, the program today um do give me an idea as to what you envision for yourself and for r&g motors not just over the next 12 months in navigating the covid-19 pandemic but also your ambitions for when we begin to emerge from this uh, situation and what you really hope to achieve then as well okay well um <laughs> we've uh, recently over the last 12 months um, opened uh, a restoration side of the, uh, the business as well. So uh, we have got uh, got some, some vehicles on the books already booked in on restoration side, which is really, uh, really quite satisfying to see an old broken down car coming in and get built back up to, to, to almost new, if not better. Um, so that side's going really quite well. And we hope to invest more into that and perhaps take more staff on to build that up. Um, the, uh, the MOT side of things is a is a bit of a bit of a stumbling block at the moment due to the fact that um, we've had this uh, six month extension. Um, now there's a there's a lot of worry in uh, in the industry and um, with uh, with um, colleagues that uh, that work in the area as well due to the fact that with a six month extension, all right, this year at the moment we've lost uh, uh, probably I, I would say forty to fifty percent of our workload due to the uh, MOTs not not coming in. So the knock-on effect of that is that that's going to be year on year now. The first six months of the year um, will be will be right down on MOTs. Um, so the knock-on effect will be that the second part of the year will be quite busy, but the, the early part of the year effectively will be quiet. So I think we need to try and find something to fill that void and um, and take on more tasks, if you like, to try and uh, to get a better income in for the beginning of the year. Um, a point to note that it, it is quite worrying as well that there are a lot of cars out there. I, I, am, I am MOTing some cars at the moment that people have just said that they want to know peace of mind that they are that they are safe. And we've had all sorts of vehicles come in with broken coil springs, bald tires, worn brakes. And to, to the untrained person out there that uh, has just got this message from the government that they can drive their car for an extra six months and don't worry about it. Um, I really think that uh, you know even if they don't get the vehicle MOT, they ought to take it to. Um, a testing station or somewhere like that locally. I know, I know we do, and I know a lot of other garages in the area will will happily take your car in and give it a free look over for you. But um, so um, you know, I, I'm sort of coming off track a little bit here, really. But for the future, I think um, if if we do 
maintain the six-month gap at the beginning of the year, then ourselves and other garages are going to have to look more closely into uh, finding something else to take on in that uh, in that beginning part of the year. Um, I'm not 100% sure what it will be at the moment. Like I said, we've, we've got the restoration side of the business building up and um, hopefully that we can divert some of the, uh, the skill set from the workshop across to, to help out in the restoration side. Um, long term, um, I'm hoping that... Uh, the, the port of Falmouth will open up soon so we can get the boats in the water and uh, get out and about and start enjoying ourselves a bit more. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes, I'm afraid. Certainly, yeah. There's a lot of uncertainty and it is changing times uh, from the business point of view, it certainly seems, Mark. But um, it, there is some uh, real ambition there. And I think um, once uh, we start to see the fog lifting a little bit, we emerge from the pandemic and we start seeing some of those ideas behind the scenes coming to fruition. We can maybe even have you back on the programme for the listeners' benefit and just catch up on how the uh, the business is doing and how the market environment has changed in that respect. Um, we are just about out of time uh, today, unfortunately, but I have to say it's been a really insightful experience and also an absolute pleasure having you on the air with us. And Thank you ever so much, Mark, for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for your time and uh, take care of yourself, won't you? Likewise, Mark, do take care and do stay safe. And for anybody listening, do heed the message. It really does make a difference in saving lives. Thanks ever so much, Mark. Okay, take care. God bless. Take care. That was Mark Stevens, the Director and MOT Manager at RNG Motors. Uh, coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. During his professional footballing career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City, but most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup, following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago now. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff, and that's coming up next. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at football. And uh, the, the quite always 
mention when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years. I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence. Um, me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it would be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, 
maybe overly strict but at times you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn for you and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Well, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back out, mm. so I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, 
top quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. It's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." So that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round." You know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honour. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really 
struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave. And set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you? as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding, I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is, is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to... Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolute leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's ast- absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing Teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they uh, Ron Green was yeah. The, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the. Um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it 
that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I'm going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word is team. team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-minded, uh, single dedication, Dedication to the job, um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. It, it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not. Uh, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, 
Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.